Welcome to Alive and Kicking, the 90s football podcast. The podcast that's more 90s than going to Blockbuster Video on a Saturday night. Picking up a VHS, some ice cream, maybe even a bag of crisps. Our kids will never know that fun. My name's Ash Rose, your host and guide on this, the original 1990s football podcast. Hope you're okay, and thank you very much for downloading this new show. Have you downloaded our other new show, though? I'm sure you have. But just in case, a quick cheap plug for Alive and Kicking this week in the 90s, a new weekly show where we are guaranteed to be popping up on your device every single week. On a Tuesday, hopefully, depending on edit schedules, but on a Tuesday, me, Joel Young, Matthew Chris, normally... Looking back at events in the 90s this week, what, 20, nearly 30 years ago in some cases, we chat through all of what's happened. Uh, This week was our fourth episode, I believe, yeah, number four, where we chatted about, and wasn't a good one actually for Matthew Christ, our May United fan, where we chatted about Mark Overmars' famous goal for Arsenal in that 1998 title race that kind of sealed the end for May United. And then days later, they were knocked out of the Champions League by Monaco as well. But we do chat about Atelier Lombardo, uh, a Chelsea win in Norway, and lots of other stuff. Usually a tangent or two on those shows, trust me. You're usually about top of the pops in the 80s, but I will stop them on that. This is not an 80s podcast. This is the 1990s, baby. And we will stop them off that. But please, yeah, download that. I'm sure it's already on your little list on your podcast device of choice. So download that. There will be another one on Monday. As long as there's stuff to talk about, and even when there's not, we'll try and find something. We'll shoo it in to make sure you've got a weekly slice of Alive and Kicking no matter what. Uh, Going back two weeks ago, though, in our last Fuller show, we spoke uh, really nichely, but really gone down well, our Rentford Reject Special. Yes, 20 years ago, uh, well, it was last month now in February, Nickelodeon first aired Rentford Rejects, and we had a chat about it, and it was uh, it went down very well with the Rentford Rejects community, which I uh, didn't know existed uh, until we did the podcast. Great chat with Martin Delaney, you played Jason Summerby on the show, and a great guest, uh, Leon Hap, who I've been trying to get on the show for a while because he's an expert podcaster, does some great work on a show called Because WCW, which if you're interested in, like you know I am, it's a great listen. But yeah, he knew his stuff as well, what was brilliant, because... As he told me off, yeah, he said that he hadn't actually watched the show for even long. So a lot of what he was saying was coming for his memory. I did a lot of research to make sure I knew what I was talking about. But Liam's brilliant memory is even better than mine. So uh, thanks, Liam, for that. Definitely have him back on again soon. And we'll do some more look backs at some TV shows because there's so many milestones, 20 years, 25 years that we're approaching bearing in mind how long ago the 90s were. I really want to do a fancy football league show, just looking back at you know Skinner and Badil and all that. Hopefully we'll do one of those. Uh, we've done Dream Team already, of course. So if there's any more you want us to talk about, get on Twitter and uh, at AK90s and tell us. Um, I did put a picture up at the weekend when I was clearing out my loft um, and garage because I'm on the move. I'm moving house, so it's a good chance to go through the old 90s stuff that are not in my office that I'd love to be. One day when I've got that massive office stroke museum, everything will be out. But there are stuff, there is a limit to the space I have in the office, so some of it has to be tucked away. Uh, but I did come across My Summer with Dez. That'd be a good watch along, wasn't it? Bloody love My Summer with Dez. Not available on anything else but VHS. I think it's on YouTube. If you've never watched it, it's great. Maybe we'll do a watch along with that in the future with the going because, uh, yeah, great fun, that one. Uh, also found a load of CDs from that time, um, some LPs, I think they were called, long plays, records basically, um, from World in Motion, Pavarotti and Gaza Fog on the Tain is on main, on main, as well as all my sticker albums and things like that, all tacked nicely away. Uh, I was told to get rid of a load of stuff. I got rid of some, but not not as many as many things as my wife would let me. Hey, it's the 90s. These stuff are hallowed stuff. You can't get rid of it. So there is a lot coming with me to the new house. And eventually the big office, the museum. I'll open a 90s museum. How would you like that? That would be amazing, wouldn't it? 
But talking of museums, actually, this is a great segue. Well done. Didn't even plan that one. Um, there was a great expedition over the weekend. I don't know if you guys saw it. Um, classic football shirts, friends of the show, sponsored the show in the past. Great, uh, great. I did a blog for them actually. I don't know if you saw that about the USA '94 shirt on Friday, but they did an exhibition at the Football Museum in Manchester of 500 of their greatest shirts. Um, unfortunately, I couldn't quite make it down there myself, but uh, friends who went said it was amazing. And from what I've seen on social media, looks great. Some great '90s classics there. I think they had the May United Maple Leaf shirt, obviously the USA shirt that I mentioned. Um, even a QPR one I spotted uh, as well. Somebody on Twitter, MCFC shirts. Andy Tasker, who will be on the show in our next Fuller episode, um, he sent me a picture of the QPR away shirt from 95, 96, yeah, the relegation season. Uh, the view from away shirt, which was navy blue with the white pinstripes. Uh, a design Man United actually copied towards the end of the decade, I think 99, 2000, their away kit. Uh, but that's my favourite QPR away kit, and uh, classic football shirts obviously agree because they had that on display um so that was great hopefully they'll do it again in london or um somewhere up and down the country because i'm sure everybody like me who couldn't get to that event on uh, the weekend would love to see it so hopefully they'll do that in a town near you in a town near me soon on to today's show though and this is one i really hope that you enjoy because we had so much fun recording it um quick little story um obviously we want to make these episodes a little bit different we've done a lot of themes already um, we really don't repeat ourselves so we're trying to find a few things that are a little bit different a little bit off the beaten track when it comes to 1990s football and this subject today couldn't be more off the beaten track if we tried uh, firstly a thanks to one of our guests on today's show no i'm not going to call him a guest one of our regulars sid lambert who unearthed this amazing uh collection of videos and we have since found out where it is even after we recorded the show where it actually originated from but Joel Young joins us as well we look back at a special Man United behind the scenes documentary now when we recorded this the only place we knew existed was on YouTube and I'll post the links up um, once this podcast has dropped it's a documentary from the 1989-1990 season so we are you know we've crept just about into the decade um, with this um, and it just sort of profiles goes behind the scenes uh, of Man United and that and what happened at the start of the season I think there's a ho- starts of a home game against Arsenal then covers an away game uh, against Crystal Palace but this piece of television or whatever it was reco- recorded on is so caught in a time that even it's so hard to explain unless you watch it but it's hilariously brilliant it's hilariously cringy it's it's just brilliant i can't put it into words until you watch it there's so many little things which we discuss on the show that just made us laugh made us cry made us <laughs> just look and go what the hell happened there some massive names in it brian robson mark hughes brian mcclare the scenes with alex ferguson and archie knox are ingenious without even meaning to be you couldn't find two more awkward people than Fergie and Archie Knox. It is cringe-makingly absolutely brilliant. What I instruct you to do is listen to us, mainly laughing most of the way through the show, and then go and watch these. They're split into three YouTube clips. Watch them for yourselves, because I can't recommend them enough. They've got a bit of everything for everyone. It shows you what football was like during the early 90s, but at the same time, this could have been filmed 10 years earlier than that. It's that bad, but that brilliant. It is such a fun watch-along, and we've been really... We're we're cutting down the days. Every time I speak to Joel and we do this week in the 90s, he's asking me, when is this one going to drop? Well, it's dropping now. So that's the main bulk of the show. Since recording it, because we actually recorded it a few weeks ago, 
we actually found out that it was the actual show because we had no idea where it came from. There's no kind of description on YouTube to where this, what reason was it shown on telly? Um, was it something that was mail order? We just didn't know where it had come from. Since then, Matthew Christ, our, our resident This Week in the 90s man and our Man United fan, then told us that it was a VHS release from Manchester United. It's actually called Manchester United, The Inside Story. I'm looking at the front cover now. It's called A Unique behind the scenes view and unique is definitely the word so this came out as a video as part of the video collection there's a logo from the 90s that if i put on twitter that when i do put this picture on you'll remember vividly um so you that's where it came from it was a vh release because obviously back then there's no youtube channel you know there's there's not even a, a mutv at this point so when you did kind of specials like this they came out in in video form there was a main united video magazine i remember in the sort of later part of the 90s and there was things like netbusters that i collected as well so that's where it came out. So there was a little bit more information then. And then even since talking to Matthew about it, I would manage to track down uh, Giuliano Mariana, who's who a youth team player at Manchester United. Really, really interesting story, actually, uh, to how he got to play for Manchester United, how it all turned a bit sour for him as well. He's a youth team player in the 80s and the early 90s. And he's in this documentary. So we also get to chat to him about it as well, which is following the actual full show. Um, because when we recorded at that point, we, we didn't have an interview. So I put that on the end. So it's slightly rejigged format, but it's absolutely worth listening to. It's absolutely definitely worth watching after you've listened to this show as well so this is our watch along myself joel young and sid lambert we are watching manchester united the inside story you don't have to be a main night fan to appreciate this whatsoever the three of us aren't we are just fans of the 90s football obviously and cringemakingly brilliant tv as well um my favorite bit is the jim layton bit i'm not going to spoil it um, it's the bit that made me laugh the most. Um, but yeah, Jim Layton's speciality. That's all I'm going to say. Just look out for that. So this is Manchester United, the inside story from 1989-90. Our watch along, myself, Ash Rose, along with Joel Young and Sid Lambert. Please enjoy. It is hilarious, both from watching it as uh, as a trio and also just hearing us talk about it. It's a great, great listen. So I hope you enjoy it. This is Alive and Kicking. Please follow us at AK90s on Facebook and Twitter. And if you are a person who listens to podcasts on iTunes, give us a five-star rating and review too. That really does help us here on the original 1990s football podcast. Sit back and enjoy a nostalgic ride through the decade that truly changed the face of football. If the 90s are now retro, then it's time for a celebration. Welcome to Alive and Kicking, the 90s football podcast. Welcome back. Live and kick in the 90s football podcast. Um, this is a really different episode, and I have to say props to my uh, one of my guests for finding this gem of a little film. Um, I would love to give you some background on it, but I've really, really tried hard to find, and I can't. I can't find out why it was filmed, how it was filmed, or where it was even posted. I don't know if the boys have found anything. We'll find out in a second. Um, but that's meet them first before we go into what we're going to talk about uh, today. Uh, firstly, he's always here. He's literally part of the Alive and Kicking Furniture, whatever show we are doing at the moment, which is perfectly fine with me because he's a legend. He's also a um, social media mogul is what I normally call him. Borough fan, Janino fan. Joel Young, how you doing? Hello, Ash. How are you? I'm, I'm good. Well. Yes. Very it well. feels like only yesterday, Ash, we were doing a podcast. It may well have been. 
people just don't know, do they? The, what goes on behind the scenes, which is kind of ironic because uh, what we're talking about today. Um, and joining him, one of other our regulars, somebody I love very much as well. He's the king of the Twitter sting at the moment. He's on a right old roll. Um, if you don't follow him, you bloody well should do. Both my guests as well. From proper football and author of The Brilliant Cashing In, Sid Lambert. How you doing, Sid? I'm doing very well, Ash. I feel like I am the... Uh, if if um, Joel is a first-teamer uh, <laughs> alive and kicking, I feel like I'm a loan signing. I'd say I am the Marcus Bent of alive and kicking. Oh, I'd give you more credit than that. You had a lot of clubs, Marcus Bent. Well, I've had a lot of shows, but just not <laughs> um, just not in a, in a row. Maybe, maybe the injured. Maybe you're the injured journeyman who comes in every now and then. I like. Yeah, to be, yeah, I don't I want you loan. I don't want you. I want you permanent part of the team. I don't. I don't like the loan thing. So that's that's how you. Maybe he's that. like a. Maybe he's like a rude hullet, or, or somebody that, co- that comes that comes in and plays a fulcrum part in the team, but maybe just a little bit later in his career. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, that's that's perfect. That's a perfect analogy. Um, I can't segue between Rude Hullet and this Man United documentary. I was trying to then, but there isn't a way, is there? But there's hardly anything to segue in this because this is such a unique um, piece of. <laughs> TV, especially because have either of you found out where this was brought? Well, but Sid, you brought this to our attention first of all. How did you find it? Have you found out where this documentary even came from? I found it just on a glorious YouTube journey. Um, I have to confess, Ash, I didn't think as deeply about it as you had. I didn't need to know why it was produced. I just needed to know that it was produced, and I have enjoyed every single second of watching it. It might be the best bit of football telly I've ever not seen before. I mean, Joe, you were, tw- you were tweeting with us last night and you were watching the final bits of it in hilarity, weren't you? I mean, I'll set it up in a minute, but just it's just a it's, gem, isn't it? It's absolutely incredible. It's simultaneously completely banal and utterly fascinating. And at the same time, it's totally... It doesn't tell you anything. No. And then, but it tells you everything. It's such a bizarre piece of work. Uh, it contains some of the worst acting I've ever seen. Uh, it's got some of the, you know, all, all this sort of non-information that we're sort of used to now with football. Uh, and this is kind of, you know, it, it just tells you everything and nothing at the same time about Manchester United in 1989 and 90. So let's quickly set it up. We're going to go through the episode and just talk through what happened. I mean, it's an, and the actual episode, I think it's about an hour. It's in three parts on YouTube. Um, if you want to obviously watch it, which I hope you do after this, I wouldn't watch it at the same time because you really need to listen to the <laughs> some of the quotes and some of the commentary on it. It's just very of its time. But basically, it's a documentary going behind the scenes. We are stepping slightly in the previous decade uh, of the 1989-90 season at Manchester United. It, I don't know. The, the, the audience it's catered for seems to me because it explains a lot about football. So it's very basic. So I don't know if it was a club thing. It seems like it must have been on some sort of TV channel, but... Who would broadcast this, even in 1989? I just don't know. It's it's very partridge, if it was a bit more of a modern reference. Um, as Joe said, the acting in it is hilarious, hilarious especially it's my favourite parts, which we'll get to in a minute. Um, there's not even any titles. It just literally, on YouTube, goes straight... There may have been in the original, I guess, um, but the the YouTube video goes straight into the, the beginning of the, of the show, which is a match between... Uh, Arsenal and Manchester United at the beginning of that 1989-90 season and they're just ending it. Um, I mean, the first thing I want to say, the opening kind of 30 seconds of it, is Steve Bruce's white arse getting into the uh, the bath. I mean, it's not the nicest opening. It reminded me of the sun in Teletubbies a little bit, but not not as, as cute as that. It was just, yeah, that's what you get your opening, those big communal baths. What were your, coming to you first, Sid, what were your initial thoughts of Steve Bruce's bum and that first 
opening of, of this documentary? I think, Ash, it's possibly the greatest opening to any kind of football documentary I've ever seen. You've got Steve Bruce's arse front and centre, but there's a couple of things that I really wanted to focus on. I see if Joel picked up on them as well. Firstly, actually, there's Mark Hughes just casually drinking a cup of tea from a polystyrene cup in the bath. And then next to him is Brian McClare. Now, if you look closely at what Brian McClare is doing, he is scrubbing his face like he's got a job interview in the morning. He's lathering it up. And we've got to put this into context, Ash. That water has just been splashing around Mal Donaghy's bollocks. Ooh. And he's absolutely <laughs> lathering his face with it. What is he doing? What are we doing as a society when Brian McClare's doing that in the bath? It, it looks to me like he's washing his face with shaving foam. Like, just for some reason, because he's got it up to quite a lather. It's very, it must be about an inch thick on his face. It, you know, it looks like he's been caught in a snowstorm or something. It's absolutely <laughs> ridiculous. And, and that water is grim. I mean, for the start, you know, I mean, the first thing I've written down in my notes is bare arse in capital letters. Yeah, that's exactly what I've got, white arse. <laughs> I mean, it's literally the first thing you see. Yeah. Steve Bruce's bare arse. And then there's, you know, like you said, there's Mark Hughes sat there drinking his cup of tea with his wedding ring on, which I found quite unusual because he wouldn't have had it on for the match, but then he's decided to put it on for the bath. That's really <laughs> peculiar. <laughs> and then, and then, you know, they're just all sat there naked and, you know, just sitting there with his face full of soap, having a bit of a chat for ages, uh, McClare. It's, but, I mean, there's lots, to, there's lots to unpack with Brian McClare in this particular piece. Oh, I mean, Brian McClare is, really is an unspoken uh, hero in this whole, this whole piece, if you like. He's magnificent throughout. Um, you know we are in pure partridge territory with the last line of this first oh, scene. Yeah, exactly. I've written yeah. that down as well. Go on, go on I mean, this, this is absolutely glorious. The players share a laugh as well as a bar of soap. I mean, that <laughs> is magnificent. Ma- magnificent wordplay from the narrator here. First class script writing that, isn't it? He also talks about a warm ending, which I wasn't completely comfortable <laughs> with. Because <laughs> I don't quite know what that meant in terms of when you're in communal bath and people get relaxed. I don't know. I'm not sure about that. But it's just, I mean, you mentioned Mark Hughes. Hair. I mean, I'm going to say that throughout. But Mark Hughes's hair is its own beast in this whole documentary. It should get its own side sort of sub show because it's just a magnificent bit of hair. Mark, Mark Hughes's hair in this looks like, can you remember the Play-Doh barbershops? Where you would push play doh through the people's heads, and then you'd like mould the play doh hair to the to the heads of the thing. Mark Hughes looks like one of those in this. He's, he, well, I've he... got I've got written down that Mark Hughes looks like Vera Duckworth stunt double. <laughs> or that wasn't it? The, he one gets compared to that one. Was it uh, Emma Dale? I don't watch Emma Dale, so I don't know. Or is it Home and Away? There's a soap character he always gets compared to with that hair. She's quite old, and she's got, got sort of the same hair, but it's kind of grey and curly. I don't know the name. Someone will remind me on Twitter. Was it Mrs. Mangle? No, that's Neighbours. I know that one. That's Neighbours. It's something yeah. I didn't watch. So it's either Emmerdale or Home and Away. That's not really my, my bag of soaps. Um, that's ironic because we're talking about but, but, Yeah, it could be Brian McClare's bag of soaps. Yeah. <laughs> Brian McClare throughout this, as what makes me laugh, he's like the naughty kind of school kid because he's always wearing like a rock t-shirt and, and jeans like throughout it. He's like the, the, the cool kid that no one really wants to mess with. It's, it's so many little things, as we'll talk about as we go through this. It's just it's such a bizarre piece of television. Everybody must watch this after they've listened to it. Um, so we go from the, the communal baths, as which we won't get anymore, obviously, for, for health and safety reasons, among other, but cleanliness, as we've seen from the, what Brian McClare was doing. It's one of those things, though, that, you know, the team bath is, you know, football's such a... Like, oh, it certainly was then. 
such a homophobic world. Yes. Yet they're all quite happy to cavort naked in the team bath after the match and show each other their asses and things like that. It's so bizarre. For a warm ending, that's all they want. And we yeah. go from that into uh, then looking around the media, which is, again, at such a, a look into 1980s and 1990s, uh, that sort of period where we get these big preference conferences. Even last night, uh, you look at Man City, I'm dating this, but Man City Wigan. Uh, but there there's Alex Ferguson standing in a corridor with a long, lot of men in long jackets just kind of having a, a casual chat. I mean, it's just of its time, brilliantly. Um, it, I thought that just was a little quirk being in the media. just made me laugh that, you know, that just sort of at the end of the day, you know, they're just sitting there with their dictaphones in the kind of back area of Old Trafford. There's no branding. There's no nothing like that. That's it's, what I've written. There's no boards. There's no sponsors. There's just him with loads of blokes. Yeah. <laughs> Ropes in long caps and flap jackets and things like that. It's just, yeah, there's, it's just very much. I mean, we're going to say this a lot. It's very much of its time because then it goes watching into... This, watching this documentary, it's the first time I've ever thought to myself that I lived in the past. Yeah. Because that looks, it looks like what it is. It looks like nearly 30 years ago. And when I was a kid, 30 years ago was the 1950s and that looked completely different to now. Whereas this is the first time I've seen something from that time. And I went, oh my goodness, this is so ludicrously different it's changed out of all recognition mm. and i think this press conference bit is the absolute summing up of that yeah and no, i have to say i have to say i mean we're going to laugh a lot and we have laughed already about the way there was something charming i thought about having a press conference that was a lot more laid back mm. you had the access you know the journalists just chatting away to alex ferguson they knew him he knew their first names there was there was a certain almost kind of wit and charm about that particular scenario that was repeated up and down the country in football clubs. And we've the distance now between the media um, and the players and the managers is so vast. It's a real goal. For, whereas back then it really was first name terms. And that, that was something that I looked at and I thought, oh, that was nice back then, wasn't it? Mm, it's the, well, the TV coverage made me think that though as well. Like they go on to talk about the, the how it's broadcast and only 150 televisions. You know, it's kind of, it's, it's amazing. Yeah, I've got that written, yeah. yeah. They, they trump that like it's a, like it's a huge deal and uh, there's 150 televisions around Old Trafford just people amazing. can watch in their comfort of yeah. wherever they are and if they're international like, oh. they can call in and you can listen to the game on their phone service imagine sitting yeah, there on a, the phone for 90 minutes and there's a bloke who's actually there doing the commentary yeah. for them like into a phone it's <laughs> it's like right okay it, I think you're yeah. right Joe it's really it really harks back to it is a different different time when we talk about the decade that changed football you can really see it from this documentary and even probably by the end of 1999 how different it was and you go straight did you um and... did you guys see the local radio guy he's my he is one of my favorite scenes in it because he's sitting on one of those booster seats that you used to get in the barbers <laughs> when you were too small for the big chair i've got I one mean, now his knees, my, my daughter's his knees are it. up by his chin i don't know how he can see the game um then we come for our next bit of on innuendo as well when you get uh, Mark Hughes's feet followed by Clayton Blackmore licking his lips I, I just it's just who edited together has clearly got a different agenda it's very funny uh, and there's this, this scene of the players getting having a warm down uh, and things like that and then we go into the bar as well which is this is just so of its time I mean you wouldn't even you wouldn't see this in a million years now people you know players mixing together as well i'm not sure even teams do that anymore now i don't think the two teams mix together the managers might but i'm not aware from the games that i've covered and, and seeing what happens after the game that they go and mix but here they are in the bar having a chat the arsenal players see michael thomas sipping on a beer and things like tony that tony adams is there with robson yeah it's it's the just drinkers club yeah they've got red wine they've got pints it's just 
it's so <laughs> of its time. And it just... Michael Thomas, by the way, what was going on with his tie? It's halfway round his neck. He looks like he's about to be strung up. He's going to get a peanut. Is that what we used to call it in our school? Yeah. And, and then the other thing, back to Brian McClare, he's, he's wearing a green tie. Did anyone else notice that? And I was starting to think to myself, does he think he's still at Celtic? Has he only got <laughs> one tie? I couldn't work out what he was doing. I mean, it must be, as you said, Ash, Brian McClare is rebellious throughout he this. He is. Even <laughs> in the players' lounge. There he is in his green tie. Yeah, I've just seen it come up. I've got it playing on mute in the background just so I can remind myself if the boys point something out. But you're right. Green tie before they go to the, to the ground stuff. Yeah. Naughty Brian McClare, I think I'm going to call him throughout this. And uh, more ground staff there with the, the big hair as well. I mean, the hair and the fashion goes without saying. Um, they, this also leads us into probably my favourite kind of characters, I suppose if you would call them, and scenes in this whole documentary is every time Alex Ferguson and Archie Knox share the screen together. It's so <laughs> phenomenally bad that it's just brilliant television. Like they're bad acting, the awkwardness, the fact that Ferguson did it. Can you imagine asking Alex Ferguson to do this in like nine, even five years later? But here they are Absolutely standing not. in their office talking about the partnership between Brian, uh, Brian Hughes, Mark Hughes, and Brian McClare, and they've got to, you know, they've got to just sit down together and work their partnership out it's just so awkward i mean did you uh, these must what be some of I, your favorite scenes guys what i thought about this was like obviously it's obviously been shot on a single camera which means that they've had to go through this stilted conversation about six or seven <laughs> times uh and, and you can just see how uncomfortable they are and there's a clear uh, the phone rings this is where the phone rings in the middle of uh, in the middle of alex ferguson talking that's the following and, and, scene, but yeah, they're, they're quite oh, close together, right, yeah. Well, later on, there's a, there's a really sharp edit where he's talking because the phone rings in the middle of him giving his chat and he, he takes a sharp intake of breath because he's clearly going to say, for fuck's sake. <laughs> but there's a really, really, really clunky edit in that and it, it's just hilarious, the fact that it's been shot on one camera and the fact they go through these conversations about five or six times so that could be shot and they're just... Nobody could have possibly thought that this was the way that they talked to each other day to day to day. Well, I mean, this is one of football's great partnerships, Alex Ferguson and Archie Knox. So much history, so much success together. But somehow, in this scene, the director has managed to make them look like strangers talking in the queue for a bus. It's honestly (laughs) like they've never met before in their lives, and they're just passing chit-chat, you know, waiting for the number 72 to arrive. It's magnificent. But I did have one quick question, which is why on a Sunday when only Alex Ferguson and Archie Knox in the office, why has Alex Ferguson got his best clobber on, whereas Archie turns up in a pair of tracky bottoms carrying his suit? I just couldn't <laughs> understand that. You were, what, what was he, was he going to change into it? Because it never appears. It I never do- appears in the rest of the documentary. I tell you what I liked, you know, just before this scene where Alex Ferguson pulls up in his jag outside, and there's, he's obviously got his own parking space, and you can see this because it's it's noted that it's Alex Ferguson's parking space by a crudely drawn AF on like a really wonky, jaunty angle on a white bit of cardboard that's just stuck there, which I kind of thought was a classy touch. <laughs> I think Alex Ferguson just gets up in a suit, though, doesn't he? He's just probably one of those men that just get up and puts on a suit. He hasn't even got pajamas, so Sunday his wearing, Sunday best is just he another. He's wearing suit. white socks though when he's got his feet up on the table. I know, there, that's right? why I've written down here the fact that he's just chilling with his feet on the desk. I mean, come on, you're being filmed, man. It's, you know, make yourself at home, Alex. I know it's your club, but bloody hell. Mm. Talking about someone having their their feet up, we go to the physio room next. We do, and. Um, 
if I can say, this this scene explained a lot to me about Manchester United's problems in the late 80s and early 90s. Because what you see there is Mark Hughes getting some treatment on his ankle, right? And now the physio's looking at it, and clearly, for some reason, this treatment necessitates bare skin. So the physio starts shaving Mark Hughes' ankle. Did you guys see this? Yep, I've got shaving shaving ankles written down. Right, he's shaving his ankle. He's not even looking what he's doing. There's no foam. He's just wafting away with a one-blade <laughs> razor. He's, I mean, he's like Freddy Krueger. It's incredible. I mean, this is Manchester United's main striker. This is a multi-million pound asset. Their injury list is as long as your arm. And now you can see why. What was a physio? Do? I just couldn't believe it. What is peculiar about this? Is this the physio scene? Is this like Viv Anderson and Steve Bruce yeah. and McLaren and Lee, Lee Sharp, Sharp just, yeah. just happened to walk in? Yeah, just, just there, watching and getting shaved, yeah. They're just there having a bit of a carry-on watching Mark Hughes get shaved. <laughs> really very odd. Viv Anderson is loving it. He's like having the best day of his life. He's oh, says, Viv Anderson's at a party constantly yeah. all the way through. I mean, he can't believe he's still at the club, to be honest. <laughs> um, We're here on a Sunday and having a laugh about it. It's like, well, you don't have to be by the looks of it. You're clearly just watching Mark Hughes get played with. It's just... <laughs> On his feet, I might add, but yeah, yeah it's uh, another. Yeah, it's just another bizarre bit of a bit of uh, footage from this. I mean, the physio just looks like he's having a great day as well, doesn't he? He doesn't. He's not paying attention. He just likes being on film. I wrote down the words "mega bants." <laughs> it is mega bants. <laughs> Lee, Lee Sharp looking like the the pop star that he always really wanted to be throughout. Every time the camera goes anywhere near him, he does that little smile like he's on the front cover of Match magazine. It's just calm down, Lee. Your career didn't work out as well as you hoped, mate. Because uh, his accent has fallen away, hasn't it? Because he sounds so ridiculously brummy. Yeah, he does. In, in this, he's like, oh no, she's sort of playing for Manchester United. Uh, and then, you know, I, like, I don't remember you sounding like that. Yeah. Well, we next we next learn uh, about the the kit, all the, all the women in the laundry room, and you got Brian Robson in there shouting about his cup of tea and Jim Layton, which was which I found bizarre about Jim Layton, not particularly about him, but about the process at the time. The kit lady at Man United, or the kit girls in the laundry room, they also washed the international kit. So how lazy were the international teams at that point? The, the, poor old Jim Layton had to bring his own Scotland shirt back from whenever he was playing, and then get it washed for when he's next called up. I mean, well, what was going on? Where was Doc Cotton and her laundrette around Scotland? Because it's just, why would you take your international kits? It's absolutely weird concept for me. Did anyone else notice that uh, one of the laundry ladies was the spitting image of Mark Hughes? <laughs> Maybe it was Mark Hughes. <laughs> yeah, at one stage I thought they got confused. I thought, oh, there's Hughesy, just, you know pitching in to help out the laundry ladies, which was really nice of him. But um, there was one... Ash, we did miss one scene here. It was brief, but it was legendary, which was Archie Knox and Sir Alex. This was the one with Sir Alex with his feet on the table. Yeah, yeah the kit, um, yeah. Where they're, where they're just casually browsing through the papers. Um, and I don't know if anyone else noticed this, but there were two phones on the table. It's a fairly basic, bare little office that they're on uh, yeah alex has got his feet up archie's just flicking through the papers they're sort of taking issue with a couple of things the journalist said now there's there's one small phone fairly standard looks like the one you had in your own house and then there is this monstrous enormous red phone on the table the I, it looked like the bat phone. I was trying to, you know, is he about to get a call from Superman or is it like the Bobby Charlton hotline that, you know, when Bobby Charlton wants to speak to Sir Alex, it goes straight through that enormous red phone. 
It's yeah, it's a big phone. I agree. I noticed that one, but yeah, it's a big phone. Then they have that weird conversation with the kit man where there's all another weird. There's a scene where they all smile in unison about a, a joke that Archie Knox makes about him stealing the kit. Because back then you had to keep all the kits. There wasn't hundreds and hundreds of replicas. And there's this weird smile moments. So add the big telephone into these weird smiles. It's another brilliant. All the best scenes are between Alex Ferguson and Archie Knox because they're full of awkwardness, full of things like this. Um, and, and just, I love them. I love these two guys together. I wish they get their own cop show. <laughs> I, I, I tell you what, you know, these, these really, these strange, almost chart show type facts. Yeah, I'll bring it up at random on the screen, and sometimes they relate to whoever's talking. You know, like when uh, Bobby Charlton comes on, there's a little like a little fact about him springs up, but then at other times, just completely random, nothing facts about the size of the pitch at Old Trafford or something, just keeps springing up out of nowhere. It's like the absolutely ad hoc, arbitrary chart show facts. Like Man United Do played we? 86 European ties. Yeah, yeah. that was one. <laughs> <laughs> Man United have been to 86 different. Places to play football or something like that. Yeah, they were like. Do you remember Pop Video on VH1? That's that's. Kind no, of... I'm saying I'm saying like the chart show. Yeah, because in the middle of the chart show, those facts would come up. But yeah, Pop Up Video as well. Yeah, it's just yeah. I don't know. Not much research went into those. Uh, I don't believe. Um, no. So we had a, then we have a little bit with the fans after the laundry, and and we got a couple of actors and I imagine the kids saying they're part of the club and part of the membership. Um, then we get two old geezers talking about what are they? I kind of read, read my own notes, but talking about the corporate side of it, not the best scene they've ever had in it. Um, but then we see the offices at Old Trafford and Joy at Man United, who books the players away days. Good old Joy and her big telephone as well. So uh, just seeing this office and this kind of small-knit team just makes you think of the sort of empire that Man United must be now behind the scenes. And this little office that looks even worse than Wernham Quag, you know, in, in the office and stuff. It's just, yeah, bizarre again. Um, what, any thoughts from the, these scenes, boys? I liked when they went to the ticket office. Because it was like well-organised and disciplined groups travel to watch Manchester United, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> Membership. On the luxury coach, 9G, as well. Yes, that was. Do you want to go on? Do you want to go on business or luxury? They was like, what's the deal? And he's like, the kid who's about eleven. <laughs> oh, yeah, that, that bit, I had to take issue. This, this was pushing the, the belief, uh, you know, the suspension <laughs> of disbelief a little bit too far. Because yeah, this kid's about twelve years old, and the, the guy asked him straight face, "Do you want executive or luxury class?" And he says, "Luxury." This is nineteen eighty nine, ninety. You know. Margaret Thatcher has spent the decade waging war on the working class. There's been like two recessions, and he's booking a luxury coach to Norwich. <laughs> I just couldn't. I thought, come on, son. You know, I'm, I'm prepared to play along with this, but, you know, let's behave ourselves, shall we? I wonder Can what a luxury join? coach is, really, because we'll see the coach later on, the players' coach, and there's not exactly luxury about that either. So I do wonder what a luxury coach for fans was at that, at that time in 1989. But, yeah, sorry, in- go on, Joe. In the ticket office, there was like a massive oversized swatch on the wall. Did you notice that? It wasn't like a Manchester United branded swatch. It was like a massive swatch that was made to look like a wall clock. You remember them? Yeah, yeah. And just hanging randomly from the wall. I don't even think it's red. It's just there. Oh, yeah, I can see it now, yeah. (laughs) My mum and dad had one of them in the living room when they thought they were really cool at this point. And they were were ghastly things, weren't they? Those really. I think my mum and dad was like black. He could have even been zebra print. Yeah, that's the that's the early nineties for you. Um, then we go to a bit of training. You see the players walking through the car park in their various kind of fashion faux pas of the of this era. Not in training. Is, kit. It, Lee Sharp appears to be wearing 
like a Stoke or a Sunderland or an Atletico Madrid kit from around about 1923. He's been on it's tops. Got, it's got enormous white collars and red and white stripes. And I'm just like, why are you wearing Lee Sharp? There's a funny bit of narration here as well where, where uh, the narrator tries to make us feel sorry for the players who might have to drive in rush hour to go to training. Yeah, I've <laughs> yeah, written that down hilarious. as well. It's sad for the, it's sad for some of the players who have to drive in rush hour. <laughs> and I went, all right, yeah, that sounds terribly sad. Yeah, oh, poor, poor players. Yeah, I'm sure they're getting paid enough, even in 1989, to, to warrant the traffic. Um, but the fashion here, Sid. I mean, you're a fan of that, surely? Oh, I'm a huge fan. I mean, um, Mark, uh, Mark Hughes looks like he's accidentally put on Andre the Giant's shirt, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah. It's it's, it's like a it's it's a tent. <laughs> it's enormous on him. But then once you once you've sort of recovered from the fashion, you actually get into the meat and potatoes of the warm up at the cliff. And to describe this warm up compared to what we see today as amateurish <laughs> is um is being extremely kind because they do this sort of half hearted jog, there's an occasional kind of waft of the arms, and then Steve Bruce Steve Bruce, the Manchester United, you know, vice captain, describes it as keeping fit, running about, trying to enjoy yourself still. That's what it's all about, he, really. He also says, even at our age, we can do this. And he must have been about 26 then. <laughs> I, I've, I've written that quote as well, Sid. And it's like, this is a man who's gone on to do quite successful managing in, in terms of his level. Yeah, and that is his sort of view on training, keeping fit, running around and having fun. Well done, that yeah. is literally any Sunday league team yeah. in the country's war bar. <laughs> yeah. like, there is no difference. And then we go to Mark Hughes looking on on the bed, <laughs> looking a little bit saucy. This is so cruel, right? Because whose idea was it to put the training centre directly <laughs> overlooking the training pit? The, yeah, the, the, the hospital overlooking the, the training pitches. So it's like, it's a really sad shot of like, he's gazing sadly from the window into the middle distance. And I just went, well, that's just cruel, isn't it? Putting it there, showing them what they could attain. But again, we're gazing here, we're sadly probably... like he's listening to James Taylor or something. He, I, I like the fact again we get an insight into Mark Hughes, the manager, by all you hear him going, mm, "Good shot." So there's <laughs> his analysis of training. And as a QPR fan, I can pretty much confirm that was probably what he was like as manager at Loftus Road. Um, but that's too modern to talk about on this documentary. Um, but yeah, the training for me was uh, very. Um, it wasn't very, just wasn't very detailed was it and then i think brian but, but lee sharp it. lee sharp had some good words to say about it didn't he this this was where sharpie really shone for me because so we see this sort of slightly lackadaisical training session then we see mark hughes peering out watching it completely disinterested really and then they cut to lee sharp you know who's at this stage the the early 90s is the next big thing in english football you know behind gascoigne lee sharp is the flying left winger he's the heir apparent to john barnes in, in the international team and he says and this i actually had to write down this quote because it was so good <laughs> so he's talking about manchester united and he says the training's a lot better here than it was when i was down at torquay <laughs> the insight i mean I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, I, I can't contain this any longer, but I should fucking hope so. It's Manchester United. No it's disrespect the to Torquay. team in the country. Yeah, no disrespect to Torquay United, but yeah, Lee, that's what it bloody well should be. <laughs> oh, breaking news, breaking news. United have centres of excellence in Northern Ireland, Durham, and in the south of England, as well as Manchester. There you go. 
<laughs> that's, is, a, that's a pop-up fact. That's an, another pop-up fact for you as we go into their indoor training centre. So yeah, St George's Park, eat your heart out, because Man United were doing it in the 80s and 90s. They had an indoor thing, and we go here to uh, a quite awkward interview with Mark Robbins, looking like, well, he looks like he's got a really bad knockoff England Italia 90 shirt on. That's what it looks like to me. Uh, and a hairdo that actually is quite fashionable, but it wasn't then, and it is now. It's kind of come full circle. And, and then he's next to Russell Beardsmore, looking like about a 12-year-old wearing the worst shell suit that I've ever seen. I mean, everyone loved a shell suit in the 90s, but this sort of velour-y looking, oh, it's more slinky, actually, green affairs, it's not nice. Um, and then a young Brian Kidd taking the training. And again, it's it's not a lot going on here, but just another awkward interview with some Man United players, really, isn't it? There's an incredible bit with Brian Kidd, though, in this, because one, he looks so young. I mean, obviously, you know, I think well. we remember him playing from years ago, but he does look, like, really young. But he does that thing that David Cameron used to do, and that's when he thinks the interview is over, he just walks off, and they leave that cut in. So, kid's just speaking, then he goes, that all right? And he just walks off camera, and they leave it, like, two seconds too long, so you'd let, so you see him sort of storm off to go to do whatever else he's pressing at uh, the cliff that day. It's, it's just, it's really, really funny <laughs> going back and watching him storm off again. But seeing those young players, actually, I sort of reminded myself that um, everyone obviously talks about the class of 92 and what happened with 95 and you can't win anything with kids. But even early on, Alex Ferguson really did try to integrate young players into that team, didn't he? I mean, Russell Beardsmore got a lot of games. He was a good player. Mark Robbins, of course, came in and probably, so the legend goes, saved Alex Ferguson's job. So uh, with that goal at Notts Forest in the FA Cup third round that season... It's um, It sort of jogs your memory a little bit that Ferguson really was committed to youth players even before that outstanding crop in the mid-90s. Yeah. I've written down a quote from Ferguson. He says, uh, maybe it will be several years before the youth pays off, but it will. Yeah, it's kind of like, ironic well, quite, wasn't it? Yeah, it wasn't yeah, something you, well, that... But what is the end? The mentioned young players, including uh, there's talk about Blackmore and, uh, and uh, David Wilson and Tony Gill, but there's no mention of uh, Ryan Wilson. No, there's not at the time. No, there's not. No, there no, is. no, no, no. mentioned in it? No, no. I was going to say there is. I don't know if you spotted this. I think it's literally a couple of seconds clip. But there's somebody taking a free kick for the youth team with a number seven on his back, and I've gone back so a few gigs. times. Now I think it's Beckham. I think it's right, a David, okay. I think it's a David Beckham a really early free kick from when he's used day. So I have seen him wearing that kit at the time. So I, I have gone. It's impossible to actually tell who it is, but from the hairdo, the number seven is obviously kind of a clue. I think David Beckham makes a really really brief. Uh, it's the end of part one on YouTube, right at the end uh, when after another a really awkward Archie Knox and Alex Ferguson scene. It's and they're talking to um, Nobby Styles. It's in between that bit, but yeah, I think David Beckham makes a really really two second appearance in this. Another lad that isn't mentioned um, is Adrian Doughty, yeah. who, if you've, if you've read um, Oliver Kay's book, Forever Young, Fantastic about, book. it's absolutely unbelievable book about his life, and he, he later died in Holland and, you know, just uh, drowned by accident after he'd been out and had, had a few beers, and just a lad who you could see totally wouldn't fit into this environment when we see everybody messing about on the coach later on, and, and it's all so masculine and bouncy and blokey blokey and, and you see how somebody like Doughty who by all accounts was just quite quiet quite arty quite musical wouldn't fit in but if you want to read a book about Manchester United at that time I'll go and grab a copy of that if you can because it's absolutely outstanding there's also um so we talked we just mentioned there Sir Alex Ferguson and the youth scheme and he really is thinking years ahead and it got me thinking two things firstly it's that point 
that you would never, ever in this day and age would a manager get the amount of time that Alex Ferguson got because you are talking six years. We're six years before Beckham and Neville mm. and Butt, all skulls completely changed English football. It was six years before those kids broke into the scene, but all the hard work was done you know, these years before in the late 80s. That wouldn't happen now. There's such pressure, um, there's such immediacy around football now that every manager is essentially an interim manager, even at United now, that's the way it's gone. But there was a brilliant line with Steve Cook, the scout, which uh, when he was on the phone to one of his scouting network around, you know, the British Isles, which I thought completely summed up where Britain, England, if you like, was... I know what you're um, going to say, yeah. Yeah, was in terms of how we assessed good players. And he's on the phone and he's obviously asking about a potential prospect and whether he's Manchester United calibre. And his first question is, does he get his tackles in? I've I've written that down as well because I thought exactly the same thing, yeah. Does he get his tackles in? He's recruiting for Manchester United. This is meant to be the biggest, best side in the country. And he's asking whether the boy gets stuck in. I know it's and again that seems a bit weird as well because it's he's it's the scouts in his office you know and it's yeah it's something not quite right about that um that's in between the Nobby Styles bit as well isn't it when Nobby talks about him coming back to the to the club as well that David Beckham possible bit is at 14 minutes and 50 seconds on the first part so if you're listening and they're going to watch it see what you think if that's David Beckham to me again I've got it paused here kind of a stance like David Beckham I don't know you have a look and, and, and let us know. Um, so, yeah, we're talking youth now as well. And they go through... Um, going back to Brian Kidd, actually, I've written here. The, the fact that he goes on about multiple jobs. It says he's the... So, he's the, he does looks after the youth. He's the sponge and bucket man for the B team, whatever that means at the time. So does The magic have, bucket man. Yeah, does yeah. he have the magic sponge? And he goes through another plethora of jobs. He's just like, the, you know, the, the handyman. He's like Tim Allen from Home Improvement. <laughs> <laughs> Tim the tall man Taylor. He just goes through everything at that point. But he's wearing a stun, and I thought you'd appreciate this, Joel, because the amount of Adidas gear throughout this documentary, that jumper's pretty nifty, isn't it? That Brian I brought, I brought everywhere. They're cool with the big Adidas trefoil on the front and sharp on the back. I'd wear one of them. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't even look like it's got a United badge on it anywhere. It's very peculiar. I've written, uh, I've written C A F Adidas gear everywhere you look in yeah. my notes, so that's quite good. Yeah, there are some lovely, lovely ones. There's also some tram lines I forgot to mention earlier in that um, youth thing that I used to have when I was a kid. It's been a long time since I've seen tram lines in somebody's hair, but there was. Are oh, they back of... in? Back in? Are they back in? Is it hipster yeah. now? Especially on the eyebrows. Oh, okay. I might be. Able... I'll rock out the old pictures. Um, but if we're talking about fashion, Ash, we've got to address. <clears throat> What Brian McClare is wearing during when the goal scene. Goal. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Now this 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 is another bit where the where the director and the narrator do their best to make you feel sorry for professional footballers because he's talking about the players need to ease the pressure um, on a rare day off and Brian McClare and Mark Hughes just dropped by the golf course. Now you see this wonderful shot of McClare and Hughes, which, of course, the striking partnership, just appearing over the horizon with their golf bags. <laughs> it's, and it's, then you realise... It's quite romantic, that, isn't it? Oh, it's incredible, yeah. And then you realise that Brian McClare is wearing a pair of jeans and a Waterboys <laughs> T-shirt. I mean, he looks wrote, like he's going to a student union gig. I wrote down, he looks like he's going to a big country concert. <laughs> 
This is what I mean about Brighton. He, he wears something like that as well later on when they're having dinner at the hotel. The players are all wearing kind of casual sort of smart shirts and stuff. And he's got jeans and some sort of, I think it may even be the same t-shirt. Maybe Brian Clare's on it. Maybe he's like Homer Simpson. He's only got one outfit for this. But Jumping forward a bit. Later on when they're on the coach, they discuss Brian McClare's music taste. Uh, but Brian Robson is talking about McClare's music taste. He's going, oh, sometimes we let sometimes we let Chucky put the music on. It's a bit weird. And I thought, I wonder what it is. And then I just thought, it's just anything that isn't Phil Collins, isn't it? This yeah. music that they play later on. Yeah. I thought Brian Robson had that really air of captain throughout. Every time he spoke, he, he kind of had this cocky air, didn't he? Of, of being yeah. the captain. And he was quite comfortable in front of the TV screens. Um, that go- We'll talk more about the golf in just a second. There was just a couple of points before that. Because there was a bit with Bobby Joel, which didn't really have any comedic value other than his hair. Um, it's, it's, I mean, it, there's been lots said about Bobby Charlton's hair. But I mean, in this... The comb over does start from somewhere above his right ear and goes right the way over his head yeah. to his left ear. It, it is a thing of beauty. And it's wispy. There's a good word. It's very wispy. Um, and I, for me personally, there's a moment where Denol Graham, which is another name that didn't really make it, made one appearance that season, scores against QPR at the loft when we were, it was 1-1 at the time I saw on the score, but also, yeah, cheers for that, documentary makers. Um, going back to the Adidas as well, there's a clip of Lee Sharp wearing that beautiful blue away kit uh, as well. Um, but the golf scene, yeah, going back to that, Sid, I mean, it's romantic, almost like a Boons and novel, isn't it? That You know, the way they're just getting on together. But the fact that he's playing golf, he can't have actually been playing golf in that get-up, surely. Well, I mean, I just couldn't work out. I mean, golf, there's a lot. You've really got to rotate through the hips to get, you know, accuracy yeah. on your drive. <laughs> Those jeans are so tight. Yeah. I, I, he can't have hit it more than 10 yards. Yeah, as Happy Gilmore <laughs> says, it's all in the hips. You know, there's, oh. a, there's a 90s reference for you. But it's, it's, and then Mark Hughes wearing a shirt. They actually think the physio is wearing a similar shirt. Yeah, somebody else is wearing it later on. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> And, and again, his mane is beautiful in that setting as well. I think there's slight wind as well. And he's talking about how he'd only come back to England. I don't think he wanted to come back at first of all. He goes on about how he really enjoyed his time at Bayern. Um, but then says he wants to you know, he'd only come back for, for Man United. We don't find out if anyone's good at golf or, or wins a game. But it's, a beautiful, it's probably the, you know, the pinnacle of this documentary, that beautiful golfing scene, isn't it? Yeah, then they talk about Brian Clare when he first moved down from um, from Scotland to Manchester United. And he, and, he, and he said something that absolutely shocked me. He goes, there I was, you know, 23-year-old man married with a kid. <laughs> went, wow, you don't get that now in football. No, you don't. wanted everybody married off as soon as possible. It was meant to be, you came out of your digs, you started to get your place with your team, you might be allowed six months of being silly, and then you had to be married and settled down by the time you were 22. Now, you never even hear of that at all now. I bet there's not many Premiership football players married these days. Certainly not ones in their early 20s. Not in their early 20s, no. Not at all, no. The other thing to mention is that essentially, Brian Mc... I was shocked when he said he was 23 when he came to United <laughs> because you realise that it must have been all that scrubbing he did on his face because Brian <laughs> McClare looked the same age for an entire decade. Yeah, he doesn't look that as old as he is now, really. I saw him on Twitter the other day. I was trying to get him on to talk about this documentary. I still hope we might get to chat to him about at some point because the fact that we've never heard of it, I'd love to get the play, a player's view on this. If they've seen it since, do they know if it was being filmed? How, how was it sold to them? Hopefully we'll get somebody on, on the show to talk about this because I'd love to... We need to get Clayton Blackmore. Or Clayton, yeah. Anyone who's in it, I don't mind. Even the, the younger lads that we'll talk about in a minute, it'd just be a fascinating insight uh, to know. So after the golf, we go into a little bit about their boutique and St- Steve Bruce made a little cracking joke with one of the uh, one of the girls down there. Uh, flirting on. Flirting, on, flirting then, on. Then we see, which is another 
uh, something you'd never see now. Brian McClare again, looking a little bit more sort of simple in his black shirt this time. He hasn't gone for the you know student digs kind of look that he was going for earlier. With Jim Layton getting their wages. In the... No, they're going to get the wage packets. The wage they, packets. They make a joke. They go, oh, you're going to pay us, and they go, oh no, you've already had your money, Jim. <laughs> like, like, oh, you wee tight Scotsman. You're coming yeah. to make sure we paid you. Oh, hurrah. Like, there's those like wee overtones of that sort of slightly stereotypical, you know, jocks are, uh, jocks are tight. And I've said that in inverted commas, you know, obviously. You know, it, there's, there's a thing, we'll send the Scotsman to go make sure they've been paid because that'll be funny. It's really, it's really strange. Awkward. The jokes are so awkward. They really mm. are. Um, and the thing that made me laugh in the next scene, they're talking about uh, May United holding functions and they do it for a, they were doing it for a player there, an ex-player, I um, can't even written down the name, but it's Matt Busby's assistant um, during his time there. They're doing a function for it and they talk about the sort of things that they do, you know, tribute nights. And the one that stood out for me, Garden, <laughs> Garden Fates, apparently, that Alex Ferguson attends. Now, I'm not being funny. Even in 1989 and 1990, I don't think Alex Ferguson was going to Garden Fates around the Manchester area, really, was he? I don't think it's, that it's him happened. and Martin, Martin Edwards, isn't it? Him yeah. and Martin Edwards go to the Garden Fair. Yeah, it's it's really peculiar. But it seems like they, they, they do all these things on like in one day. So they go to this, they go to this sportsman's dinner at Old Trafford where they do this weird clap. Yeah, it's like the Masons they, or something, isn't it? They do, yeah, that's what I thought straight away. I just went, this is like the Freemasons. They yeah. do this weird sort of rhythmic clapping. It's not like a round of applause. Yeah. It's like a clap, 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 clap when the guy comes out, and then they do. And you haven't mentioned this yet. They do. Miss Manchester United competition. Yes. Did you notice that? Yes, I've written it down. <laughs> and oh. the Miss Manchester United competition. And, and you know, it's, it's Ferguson and somebody else stood there with all these girls with Manchester United sashes on. It was like, oh, yeah, let's see you try that one now, lads. Yeah, it was, where's Mr. Man United? Come on, where's the uh, equality in this as well? Or was that, Mark that, that was Lee Sharp, surely. Yeah, That's yeah, yeah, Mr. Yeah, Mr. Man Lee Sharp. Look or, at him, what a heartbreaker. Or was it Steve Bruce's ass? <laughs> Maybe it was Steve Bruce's arse in the opening credits. Maybe that's probably, that's probably what it was. Um, can we uh, can we go to the museum scene? We can. And is this me, or is there a cameo here from a future Manchester City player that, that nobody mentions? Absolutely. So we're we're being talked through. We're seeing a little tour, aren't we, of yeah. the Manchester United Museum at the grounds? And it's fascinating. There's some lovely old kits on there. Some old trophies. They've got the green kit there. for you, Ash. The green and yellow kit. Yeah, the Newton Heath yeah. looking with that on that model that they did a actual when they launched that kit in the nineties. They did a kind of photo shoot with all those guys looking like that, which was a nice little quirk for me. But yeah, go on, Sid. Well, there's there's two players in this that I wanted to mention. Firstly, I think Giuliano Marijuana's in it, isn't he? He is, yeah. Yes. What a name as well, yeah. yeah. What a name and what a great player he was. We mentioned sort of um, Adrian Doherty as uh, one of the, the young pack at the time. We talked about Russell Beardsmore, talked about Mark Robbins. Uh, Juliano Marana was one of my favourite players at the time. He had this lovely languid style, this lovely left foot. They were kind of... Um, I always thought watching him, there was a sort of element of uh, Chrissy Waddle, um, it, except he was just a little bit more direct and a bit raw, but he was a fantastic player. And of course, um, he's, as was documented sort of later on, he lost um, he lost his career due to injury, which really was a crying shame. But I have fond memories of watching him at the time. I don't know if you guys remember him at all. I t- it, I'll be honest, I remember the name and it took me a little bit of a, a Google, um, like Enrico Chiesa as we get getting flambasted on, on, on Twitter. But yeah, <laughs> once I'd kind of remembered him, it kind of came flooding back. It was, oh, it was that guy. 
Um, so yeah, I mean, unfortunate that he never really worked out for him in football. Again, he's on Twitter. He's somebody that maybe we'll get him on the show at some point and he can chat to us about that. And the other guy... He's was... got a great story, Ash, because he was plucked from Cambridge United by the scouts and sort of thrust immediately into the first team. So he's, he's definitely worth getting on. But the second person I wanted to talk about is, is it me or is that a young... Vibrant Sean Gota. That is Sean Gota. Shown it around is. the matches. <laughs> Sean Gota's there. Not that I, you know, personally know how Sean Gota sounds instantly, but when he opened his mouth, I thought that is. He's got quite a distinctive voice. Have you ever heard him interviewed? Or sometimes every now and then he pops up as a pundit. But he has got quite a distinctive accent, and it looks exactly like a young Sean Gota would. He's not named, <laughs> but I would bet me bottom dollar that is Sean Gota. Is it? Joe, what do you say? I think it's him. Yeah, that was the first thing that that sprung to mind with me when I was watching it. Feed the goat and he will score. Feed the goat and he will score. Well, I've just Googled him and actually it looks like he signed for United in 1989 um, via trials. That could be part of his uh, introduction to the club, getting the museum to it. It looks like, I think we were watching here, Sean Gota, during his trial with Manchester United, which is fantastic. Yeah, it's a great little quirk, and it's not it, the fact that he's not even named is brilliant because Giuliano's named, and Derek Brazil is the other player that's also in that scene as well that's named, uh, who only made a couple of appearances for United. But yeah, Sean Goat doesn't even get a mention, and it's I think it's a football fan little gem, isn't it? It's a kind of a, a little just I just you know he just comes in, he's instantly gone. I know that guy. He really I just yeah, it's an Easter egg. I guess that's the word I'm looking for. They call it in movies, don't they? When they put these little things in that only certain audience audiences would know. But yeah, Sean Gota. Brilliant cameo in that scene. And then There's we go match. to the press conference, don't we? Sorry, Joel. No, no, no. They go to the, it's the, it's the programme getting designed next. Oh, yeah, the programme getting oh, designed. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's, it's really funny. It's like, and, and they do this, and they have to make loads of programmes. And there's a bit where this fax comes through that allegedly shows them the design of the front of the next uh, next copy of United Review, except it hasn't got anything on the bit of paper. So they nod there and they sit there and talk, oh, yeah, I think that looks very good. Yeah, what do you think? And it's just like a blank square with nothing on it at all within like the box where you presume the cover's going to be. And they're waxing lyrical about how wonderful the next cover's going to be. They haven't even got a computer in the uh, programme office, which even for 1989, 1990, was pushing it. They had a tie, right? I think the guy says it needs a tint. I think it needs more than a bloody tint, mate. I think it needs an actual <laughs> design on it. <laughs> you're, you're the magazine man among us, Ash, you know. It, it does <laughs> make me laugh. I mean, work. yeah, I mean, I joined Magazine World, but when there was computers, I get told of the, you know, the days when they had to do everything by hand. So to see this being you know, in there with his typewriter, there's a small monitor, but you're right, there's no actual com- proper computer, just a fax machine and a typewriter. I can't really imagine making Kick Magazine on that basis. But yeah, it's, it's again, it's another quirk of the era isn't it and uh, then we go to uh, uh, Martin Edwards and he tells a story of how he got into Manchester United and the board very boring I've written it, <laughs> I've written it as Martin Edwards discusses his nepotistic rise yes. at the top of MUFC <laughs> <laughs> this was blatantly Martin Edwards insisting that he appears somewhere yeah. within this documentary Indeed. to um, you know massage his own ego and it is comfortably the most boring part it is yeah, it, it, is. T- it, it says it, it's it's it tells you this is one of those bits that says nothing but tells you an awful lot. So Martin Edwards' dad bought himself onto the board the day after the Munich air disaster. So that seems a little bit opportunistic for me. Then he, then he comes on the then he brings his son onto the board and he stays there for ten years before eventually he takes over the whole club. I mean that was just nepotism in absolute action going on there. 
it's very odd and I don't need to know all the stories but it adds nothing to the actual documentary does it it's just Martin Edwards I think you're right Sid getting his piece in making sure he's in the documentary telling us all that yes sir join the board in 1970 it's very very dull um, but we, we do go oh it's just before that actually you get another uh, scene with uh, Fergie and Knox talking in the uh, in their office and they've got um, one of the reserves manager there and the reserve manager is even worse <laughs> and even more awkward than both of them talking about taking players from his team and he's looks it's, it's he looks shattered well, that he's taken another player to, he goes well we'll just have to deal with it yeah. won't we <laughs> yeah, it's one of those things <laughs> it's like this is not a hard line to no, it really isn't Bobby Charlton actually going back to the middle of this part when he when he comes in his first line is very much like that as well he's just like well this is the stadium. He does, but he goes into his stride a bit after that. But his start is is a bit shaky. Um, and then, yeah, it's the press conference, uh, as Sid mentioned, when they unveil uh, two new big signings uh, for Man United that summer. Two million pounds spent on Neil Webb and Mike Phelan. Which I mean, I know that's you know not a, it was quite a lot of money in those days, but they, those two did a job for United. And I think Neil Webb was never as consistent as they hoped because of injury. But and then again, the press conference. Very small. Looks like it. There's no branding or anything like that. But those two players did all right for United, didn't they, Sid? Well, I, th- I always thought Mike Phelan was a very tidy player. He yeah. was excellent at Norwich City. Um, he was a sort of stabilising force. And I think that's what United needed, really. Um, the one thing I'd say about him is he, I, I often felt he was a fill-in player during his time at United. He'd turn up at right-back, occasionally centre-back, holding midfield, doing a graveyard shift on right midfield when they needed some donkey work done there. He never quite established himself the way he did at Norwich, where he was very much the kind of fulcrum of the team. But he was a good servant to United, I thought. But in this press conference, um, he, I thought he looked like a tax accountant. <laughs> they all do. He's- his moustache was incredible. Oh yeah, as a thing of its own. And you think that must be—he must be twenty-four, twenty-five then—and have a moustache of such, you know, almost Desmond Lynham virility was quite a good sign for me about his masculinity. And he looks about 31, 32, didn't he? Because of your receding hairline. Yeah, he must hairline. be about twenty-four. Yeah, if they're spending a million quid on him, then he yeah. must be about twenty-four, twenty-five. Well, he tells the. It was an odd uh, bit. Of, this was where I sort of had some questions about. You, you sort of remember the slightly scattergun approach to transfers that United had at this time because um, they already had Robson. Robson was injured, you know, frequently, sadly. They bring in Webb and Phelan. Um, and then it's not long after this that they also get Paul Ince. Yeah. It's a lot so of they, they, yeah. They were splashing around a lot of money, and I think uh, I think Danny Wallace came the summer before because he played played a big part in the cup run. So he was playing on one wing. You had Sharp there. There were a lot of new faces coming into the team. I mean, Ferguson really didn't. We don't see it so much here. Webb and Phelan are the only new signings, but um, you sort of remember just the turnover of players that Ferguson um, effected at the start of his era. Yeah, Mike Phelan, as you mentioned there, he, he goes on to say that he's joined Manchester United um, to improve his career and his international credentials, which never really happened for him, did it? Uh, he didn't really got, uh, I think he got a couple of caps, I have to go, without Googling off the top of my head. Um, he was much an England B player. Um, the, the note I've written down from this next scene as well, when they're talk, still talking about transfers, all the directors around a big ballroom table. Um, again, it looks like the Freemasons, but they're having a chat. And you can see Ferguson, it's the first sort of, sign we see of him and his frustration I imagine that he had later in life with uh, agents and he says oh indirect approaches of agents hmm and he can see the fire beginning to burn in his eyes that this was something that will plague his later years 
what happens for, with Ferguson here in this scene, and this is another scene that says nothing and tells you everything, is he basically tells you Manchester United are bent in, in this scene. He basically says, we get indirect approaches all the time. We don't know how to deal with them. Sometimes we do deal with them. Sometimes we don't. Is there somebody back at your door, Ash? No, there's just a window. I'm going to keep that and not edit out. Everyone, that's my dog. So, yeah, he, he's having his say about Manchester United. Uh, shut the um, door. He, he basically sort of alleges that there's lots of sort of... He hints at lots of underhand dealing going on with, with players and who agents are talking, who new agents are shopping players about to. And it's it's really quite telling the way, the way he acts in that little sort of 90 seconds, one minute, whatever it is. It's it's worth going and looking at it because there's certainly a lot unsaid in this little scene. He's for me, it's like the first proper Alex Ferguson scene. Like a lot of it's been set up throughout, but this is the only time I think he's a little more just being himself. I'm not saying that because it's talking about something dodgy, but I think that the, it maybe is not as right. You've got to go and talk about that. You've got to go and say that. I think that might be a genuine conversation they may have picked up on. Possibly. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of speculating. Um, the, the, the other thing about that scene, Ash, is I just remember at the time, do you remember um, there was some controversy in the early 90s with the England rugby team and Will Carling called the RFU um, board. A bunch of old farts. Yes. Yeah, 57 yes. old farts, didn't he? Yeah. He said they were 57 yeah. old farts. And I was looking around that Manchester United boardroom, and by my estimation, it's by no means perfect. I think the average age is 136. <laughs> <laughs> no directors. And you feel like Ferguson is having to explain how modern football works to these people. And you, you can sort of sense there's a little air of frustration, as you picked up on, but also how, how uh, omnipresent Ferguson was because he really is a, an authoritative voice in that boardroom. Uh, he obviously worked hard to achieve that. Yeah, he did, yeah. It's, it's what is a very odd scene in terms of the hierarchy of Manchester United, isn't it? It really does tell you a lot at the time. Old boys club, I think we could call it for, for definite. Um, after that, we go into... It's a bit about the kit, which pleased me. Oh, oh hold on. We, and, and hold on. on. A, a bit about the kit. It's four <laughs> minutes. <laughs> it's like, I it's find like it entertaining. It's brilliant. It, it does that thing of being so boring. Yes. It becomes highly entertaining. Yes. It's like that, that episode of Father Ted, you know, when Father Stone comes to stay and he's so dull, it's just hilarious. And that's what this guy is. He's oh, he's talking about studs for about 10 minutes. Again, you don't know what sort of pitch you're going to get when you get there. So you might have to use these studs, or you might have to use those studs, or you might have to use the other studs. And then I go onto the pitch, and I give the boots a clean, and I put the new studs in if the lads need the studs. So anyway, I've got a box of studs. And anyway, these studs are really... He just goes on and on and on about the studs. He is the most boring, organised man in the world, and it's just fabulous. Then he tells you how to pack and pack. I know, with his tool belt. <laughs> With his, with his little stud tool belt. Yeah. It's unbelievable. So he gets a bag out and he goes, so, so then you put in long sleeve shirts, and then you put in short sleeve shirts, but you have to put in two of each in case one gets dirty. Then you put some socks in. I have to put Jim Layton's top on his top because he gets top. superstitious. His favourite top. <laughs> like... His favourite blue top, wear, yeah. 
he won't go out unless he's got his blue top, but he has his red top for training. I'm like, it's like uh, Eric Openshaw on Ripping Yarns. Have you ever seen that? Do you know where he keeps his shovel next to his other shovel? It's exactly like that. But when he's telling you how to pack a bag, I was just like, this is incredible stuff. There, there is, there, I don't know about you, but I had to raise an eyebrow at one item that was included. So as, as Joel said, we had the, the different length studs, the different length sleeves. You're thinking, oh, yeah, I mean, by this stage you're half asleep, but you can see the merit of it. And then we come to the briefs, the <laughs> pants. White pants. Did anyone notice that? Yes. There was yeah. like an industrial pack of them. An industrial pack of white pants. Not boxer shorts, genuine pants. And I was thinking to myself... White pants. There are some big drinkers in that United side. You know, they've, maybe, they've maybe had a couple of beers during the week, and you know, and then they're busting a gut for a side tackle on a Saturday. That, that white pants seems like a dangerous choice to me. I mean, we remember what happened to Gary Lineker. Uh, that was I was I thought it was a curious choice of colour scheme because they could have gone for red or black. Yeah, they could have. Well, what, they were wearing black shorts for that game as well, weren't they? They were in black for the game that they go away from. That this man is telling us all about why he's packing the kit, and he's as you as you've gone on to say about the studs. He had that belt as well with all the little different tools in it as well that he wrapped up really nicely. And again, it's going back to Tim Allen in, in, in Home Improvement with his tool belt. Um, but it, what struck me was the, all the boots were black. You don't see that in 2018. Mm-hmm. Um, all, yeah, majority were Adidas, Coupe de Monde's few Puma Kings in there as well. I mean, I'm not a big boot aficionado, but it, it, again, sign of the time. Again, studs is not something. I don't know whether you know. I don't know whether you know us, but the boots went in a different bag than oh, the kit bag. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't <laughs> notice that because that was there was a big deal about that yeah. made that the boots the boots go in like a, it's almost like a box, oh, but then just, the other stuff goes in a bag. I'm just looking but, at him again, but, and he's and he's sort of salmon jumper. He's so happy to be talking through the kit. He's he's got his moment of you know in the sun. He let him. He exploits his minutes, doesn't he? Let's be honest. There's a bit where he goes. There's a bit where he goes, and I'm packing Steve Bruce and Brian Robson's stuff together, and he looks at the camera and he goes. And the reason I'm packing their stuff into one bag is that they share a room. <laughs> like, oh my god, I don't need any of this. And it's the speed writing bit, Oscar. My the whole thing, I think, the kit man. Oh, well, I get, my favourite bit's almost coming but uh, before we get to that um, we, the coach again and this is another fascinating piece of footage seeing the players on their luxury coach that apparently has a games room not just a games <laughs> room I don't know where you have this on this coach and a cinema on this 19, which was a telly which was a telly <laughs> in the middle it wasn't even a couple of tellies so that all the players could see it literally an old TV set in the middle next to the toilet I think I mean mm. coaches I mean that is not luxury coach God forbid as I said earlier what the uh, little boy who got his ticket from what coach he was getting on but it's it is that, inter- interesting to see what the player Brian Robson as we said earlier takes you through what all the players what different players are doing he's playing cards and there's you go on Brian McClare's music Lee Sharp it's just like he doesn't know what to do and he's just sort of sitting there some are reading Neil Webb doesn't know what to do he's reading in the newspaper uh, some are listening to their personal stereos Lee Martin um, and their music and stuff but Sid this is a gem of a scene on the coach isn't it Oh, it's wonderful. Um, did you notice that some... I couldn't work how it was. It might have been Clayton Blackmore, but someone is just eating a bag of crisps. <laughs> what crisps are they? <laughs> I, I can't... We'll I can't get to quite... food later on, because there is an amazing... <laughs> oh, yeah. Right yeah, we, we will get to that. that. Someone is just chomping away. I already see it. Yeah. I think it's yeah, Russell it... Beardsmore, and I think they're... Well, they're pink, so I'm assuming they're prawn cocktail. But he's eating a pack of prawn, yeah, cocktail Walker's crisps. Yeah, there um, they're reading the paper. They're eating. Uh, they're eating crisps, 
and they're and they're drinking sort of cans of soft drink. They are essentially at this point white van men. Yeah, <laughs> or <laughs> on a very weak stag do. <laughs> you just know, you just know that Brian Robson's took so much money off the other players in that card school, don't you? Because he's got a mischievous grin really in his green. eye, and he, yeah. and he says that he says that the assistant manager is the one who's best at cards, and he gives him like a dirty look. So I'm like, Robson has taken hundreds, if not thousands, of pounds off these people over the few years he's been at United, and he's grinning about it, and he's happy about it because there is an allusion to Brian Robson and gambling later on that we'll get to when yeah. he's having a shave. <laughs> yes, there's a lot of shaving going on. This he doesn't mention who's the worst though, does he? Oh, there's um Clayton Blackmore playing an electronic game. I, you know, oh, those, he's got a golf game. Those things just you know that sort of thing escape your mind. I had a football one. I think I had a WWF one as well. But the fact that players sat there and played these electronic games before the days of Football Manager and tablets and even Playstations, it looks so pathetic. It looks like the worst. Even then, for electronic games, it looks like the worst game ever. But Clayton Blackmore is loving it. And then there's Lee Sharp and his curtains. Love it. Yeah, but the coach scene is, he's got his feet up as well, like a naughty school kid. So, and then, you know, him and Brian McClare together, you can imagine the antics they possibly would have got up to. Then we learn about them sharing rooms as well. That's something else that happens on the coach. And um, Jim McGregor is the guy that um, Brian Robinson mentions. He's a physio who's meant to be quite good at, at cards, apparently, on, on away trips. But yeah, anything else you could pick out from the coach, boys? Just a bit about is just a bit about Brian McClare's weird music, yeah. which we've already touched upon. <laughs> yeah. You know, it, it's because if it isn't Sade or Phil Collins in Brian Robson's eyes, this is weird music, and it probably wasn't anything too like sort of outre or anything. You know, it was just probably somewhat perfectly normal. You know, along the lines of his big country and his water boys, and you're probably listening to Aztec Cameron, Simple Minds, and those sorts of things. Uh, but yeah, that that really made me laugh. Yeah. Well, let me come to my favourite bit then. This could have been taken from an Alan Partridge show. Ladies and gentlemen, brace yourselves for Jim Layton's Perfect Hotels. As he, <laughs> as he tells the stories of the hotels that he's been at between Aberdeen and Manchester United, we hear about the Great Eagle Hotel in Scotland. No, the Glen Eagles. The, the Glen, Glen, sorry, the Glen so Eagles is. Hotel. And then the Stanky Hotel in Bulgaria, which gave a, he, he gave a raving review. Well, not raving in a good way, but a scathing review of. He said it exactly as it sounds. Stanky, had cabin beds. He didn't like it. He really didn't like it. It's not his idea of a perfect hotel. Jim Layton's perfect hotel is coming to ITV this summer. But again, I mean, innate rubbish, really. But for some reason, it absolutely tickled me. I thought it was hilarious. The whole thing in the hotel is just absolutely ludicrous and, and the way that Jim Layton sort of like he's a seasoned traveller like he's Phileas Fogg or something you know what I mean giving his reviews he's a one man trip advisor that's what Jim Layton is he is in, a, in bed at nine o'clock he tells us as well and... oh yeah and that, was, that was another one. Oh yeah we're all in bed at nine o'clock yeah. oh, I bet you are yeah I think I think uh you know, the West Bromwich Albion business last, last week has told us that, they, you know, that isn't true. If Gareth Barry's not in bed at nine o'clock, then no footballer on the face of the earth is in bed by nine o'clock. <laughs> he's, so, only been with, he's only been with Alan Pardew two minutes and he's gone from the most model professional in the world to do, do a man that goes out and gets bladdered and steals taxis at McDonald's <laughs> at five o'clock in the morning. Alan Pardew is the antichrist of football management, apparently. Oh dear, oh dear, Gareth. Um, back to the the best documentary of all time, Sid. What can you pick out from this this hotel scene? What has your been your favourite parts of this bit? Well, I like it when they um, when they sit down to eat. Yes, because, <laughs> this, is, because this is quite amazing. <laughs> this, 
I mean, this sort of tells you everything you need to know about how English football was. How nutrition uh, back was in dealt with. <laughs> yeah, how nutrition was considered and why some five years later, Arsene Wenger was considered a guru. Um, I think the quote is that the players sit down to eat a light, easily <laughs> digestible exactly. meal. Yes, that's, yeah. that's exactly I, I, what they say. Three hours before the game, three, three hours before the game, a light and easily digestible meal. <laughs> this right. is incredible. Now, so he uses that bit of narration before you see what they're serving up. So I'm <laughs> thinking to myself, right, uh, maybe it's a little bit of chicken salad. I'm starting to think what it was at Manchester United that was light and easily digestible. It is basically a gallon of spaghetti bolognese <laughs> and, and, and the biggest fluffy white rolls you've ever seen. I mean, it's it's like they're sponsored by King's Mill in this scene. They're just the, these enormous rolls. And you're thinking, how, how, in what world is this easily digestible? And you've got, and you've got oh. white packs on. Oh, it's terrible. Oh, have you, seen Magical, have you seen the Beatles, Magical Mystery Tour? Yeah. And there's a bit in it where John Lennon has a dream that he's shoveling spaghetti onto a woman's plate while they're just having a meal. It looks like that. It's absolutely the biggest plate of spaghetti colonnades you've ever seen. And the fact that comes out, well, that's bad enough. But then you see the enormous bread roll. And it's like, one, who has a bread roll with spaghetti bolognese that's, in the that's first place? That's too many carbs, surely. That, that was my next thought. It's just like, how many carbohydrates do you need? Uh, it, that's I've got spag bowl written in big letters underlined three times on my notes. So I'm glad we all picked that up. That was for the home game as well. I don't oh, know what, that was the best thing. That's the bit at the end of the home game, the spag bowl. What they're eating in the hotel for the away game, again, more rolls, but can't quite work it out. They do show that menu that the physio, who seems to be physio come menu picker, come hotel booker, everything. He does a bit of everything like that. Um, it just seems like they just don't care about what they're eating and then the, you get over the tannoy phone call for mr ferguson phone call for mr <laughs> ferguson like it's in on, i don't know if that's on the video or in the hotel but very odd um just a couple of more points to pick up on before we uh, we end this ama- amazing magical tour through this amazing <laughs> documentary um the game that they actually go to is a crystal palace game and is it me or do they pick out the worst passage of play that i've probably seen in that game or probably seen May United play in generally we've missed, that out, we've missed out we've missed out a bit here we've missed out Brian Robson shaving yeah we did yeah <laughs> the, the, the two ends of the food Brian we got Robson. a bit mixed up on in our timeline but yeah Brian Robson has worked up a lather similar to that of Brian McClare in the opening scene but he's actually shaving and he makes a he, they're talking about horse racing and they're talking about tips and, he's, and he goes and you, you don't see who he's talking to but he goes I'm not taking your tips anymore you've been your, your tips have been rubbish. I'm not taking your tips anymore. And you, and you hear, oh, you probably had ten grand on it. And he goes, <laughs> he goes, yeah. Uh, don't tell my wife. And it's like, oh my god, you probably did have ten grand on it. <laughs> so the question is again, who was this filmed for? Where did it go out? I, I need to find this out because it is just. Bet, it seems to me like it's a bad sort of BBC Two story build thing. That was kind of my thought when I saw it. But we need to find out when well, it went. That out is going to be my mission on on the sort of part two of this. But yeah, as I was saying, there's a terrible passage of play between Crystal Palace and Man United in, in a game that ends one one because I. Wanted to find I've out. I've looked what, it up. Yeah, I've looked th- it up. There's actually two Man United goals during their little passage yes. of highlights. Yes, weird. Yeah, because it's from the 22nd of August, yeah. 1989. 
Is, is that the is that the same, the game we think it is? I think because they play Arsenal um, the, the week before, which you look at their season fixtures, that is what that would make sense. And Brian Robson, yeah. the scorer, he does score the second goal in this. But there's a goal before that. And the that. team the team is exactly the yeah. same. Because it must have been disallowed or something like that. But there's a passage of play in it that I think well, I thought was going to end up in a goal, but just ends up in kind of a just a goalkeeper coming out and get it. And it's one of those sort of passage of play you see on the um, friend of the show, crap nineties football. There's just hoofing it and there's misplaced passes there's someone just pushing over a Crystal Palace player that would be a foul nowadays terrible 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 but there it goes to that then I think that well the documentary abruptly finishes for me actually they just kind of go and then for a home game and then they kind of go through the details of how they approach a home game that's when we see they're just strolling through the stadium yeah I know like Like, nobody's taking notice Like Brian Robson just walks through and like nobody's paying any attention. No. Somebody asks Jim Layton for a photograph that they don't get in, which is it's not a selfie or anything like that. Or they don't ask the mate to get it. They just take around the picture of like Jim Layton they walking in. Pose, the don't they? Yeah. Maybe they're a fan of Jim Layton's perfect hotels. Maybe they're they are they want to know where to stay. In it's a commissioner. But yeah, it just ends, and you, you see that final shot of the spag bowl, um, <laughs> which is kind of the star of the show in this part three of the documentary. Um, and then yeah, it, that that is the end of the. Do- I mean, maybe there's more. Maybe there's another. Maybe there's a part three or four. I don't know. I'm I'm hoping there is because it's so. I want to I want to find out more from this season. If we told everybody clearly what it's called, it's called Manchester United Behind the Scenes 1989. If you want to find it on YouTube, yeah, I'll put the links it's, up on Twitter so that people can watch this. After all right, to the, to the episode. It's unbelievably funny. And forget about it is, it's just the absolute height of it for me. Like, it's like this is not right. <laughs> For anyone out there on Twitter who's good at their Photoshop, I want a Photoshop of something to do with Spag Bowl and I want a sort of nice poster of Jim Layton's Perfect Hotel to when we launch this this new TV show for 1989. So that, that if you're listening and doing that, let's have final thoughts then. Um, Sid, you're the man who unearthed this gem. Um, so what are your kind of closing thoughts on this brilliant documentary? Uh, I thought it was uh, unintentionally hilarious. I thought it was pure partridge at times. And then at times it was just incredibly revealing about English football, Manchester United, where we were as a culture, if you like, around professional athletes and professional footballers. Um, If I could say one thing I did want to say was that um, one final thought. Jim Layton, he appears a lot during this thing. um, And he seems like a genuinely nice guy. Let's talk about his lucky top. And of course, by the end of this season, he's essentially bombed out the club for less CV, isn't he? Which was a sort of a a sad recollection for me because um, he was a bag of nerves by the end of this campaign. And and that proved to be the end of his United career. But I I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, The good news is there's more stuff on YouTube that links to Manchester United behind the scenes. Um, And I think it's just one of the, the... the great football documentaries that you've never seen. It, it probably is the best never-before-seen football documentary. I'm a big fan of the Graham Taylor one, but everyone you know, saw that at the time. It was on Channel 4, I think, at the time. But this, I mean, Joel, your closing thoughts, I think it's a must-see for anyone who listens. <laughs> it's not just whatever decade, just, whatever decade you're I, into. I just want to thank Sid for bringing it to our yes, attention. Thank you, Sid. It was, it was, it's absolutely astonishing. It is unintentionally hilarious it's what it's the funniest thing i've seen all week everything looks so fake and contrived but if you read between the lines and watch things like we watch watch them now and are used to seeing things and really get into it god it's funny 
and it, it just it absolutely you've just got to go and find it on youtube it's like 45 minutes long and it's worth every minute because there's just stuff that'll have you howling there is what my youtube did and i messaged you both this last night is it then led me into a documentary about steve bruce called the captain's log as hosted by jeremy beagle so i might go and have a little look <laughs> right at that's our next podcast you. clearly that's that's <laughs> our next watch along boys because that sounds just biz- more even more bizarre than the one we've just watched but yeah i'll put the links up on twitter so you guys can watch at your leisure and please please do i mean i hope you've enjoyed our kind of look back at it and obviously we've made jokes but it really is really thoroughly enjoyable and you whatever don't... we've said it's it's not enough no you've we got need to more. go and see it for the kit you've got to go and see it for the kit man and you've got to go and see it for the spaghetti bolognese and you've got to go and see it for brian, for brian Robson and brian mcclair i mean they're the stars of the whole thing perfect so all remains me to say is guys thank you very much and Sid where can people find you on Twitter uh, my account is called proper football and the, uh, the the Twitter handle for that is at Sid underscore Lambert good and your book available still from the usual places yeah cashing in available from Amazon uh, more five star ratings this week nostalgia storytelling loads of good gags loads of interesting trivia as well uh, get involved and Joe, where can people find you talking about all your usual gumph that you do on Twitter? Yeah, it's at Joel Baby Herc, all one word, with a C for the Herc. There you go. I don't have to spell it out as usual. And, and plug your show that you're working on at the moment. I'm doing The Voice at the minute. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Biggest show on te- TV right now, surely? Big, biggest be. show on telly right now, yeah. yeah. Uh, and we're into the battles. So oh. it's all. People are starting to get eliminated now. So, you know, hairy times. I've watched Saturday's episode and it's rather good. There you go. Does, um, does, does Brian McClare turn up in a Waterboys t-shirt? <laughs> if only. I think he did, he did a number in the blind auditions where he didn't get a chair. Oh, oh, if if yeah. only. His time will come. But that is time for us to end this show. We'll be back soon. And don't forget, you'll now get an extra slice of Alive and Kicking every week with This Week in the 90s. Uh, we'll be back with one of those. There's already one that's just gone up this week. So enjoy those. Enjoy this podcast. Enjoy your day. You can follow me at Ashrose UK or the show at AK90s. Until then, keep it 90s. Hello, this is Luis Amor Rodriguez and you are listening to Alive and Kicking, the 90s football podcast, okay? Now, where is Linda? Alas, that wasn't the end of the story. No, as I said in my intro, since recording that with Joel and Sid, we've not only learned that this was a VHS that you could buy for Man United fans at the time that was sold, I imagine, in our price and, and places like that, or maybe mail catalogue, but I have also got to speak to somebody who starred in the documentary as well. No, not Alex Ferguson, as much as I'd like to speak to him about his awkward moments with Archie Knox. Uh, but one of the stars in the museum bit, one of the young footballers at Manchester United t- at the time, Giuliano Moriana, who has an interesting story anyway. Um, he'd been a great guest regardless of the theme, because let's be honest, he's probably not a name we all recall from that era um, and the 80s uh, as well. But he's somebody who has an interesting story about how he came to Manchester United, what happened while he was at Manchester United, where he made seven appearances for the club between 1988 and 1994 uh, as well as this documentary which we do talk about and get a little bit more insight to where this documentary came from so in the final part of today's show here is me speaking to former Manchester United winger Giuliano Moriana on Alive and Kicking. This is Jason Summerby star of the Renford Rejects and you're listening to Alive and Kicking, the 90s football podcast remember keep it 90s (laughs) 
Joining me on the phone now, absolute pleasure to talk to, uh, former Man United trainee, somebody who's got an incredible story about the time at Old Trafford and that particular TV show that we've all just watched along with. Uh, Giuliano Mariana, welcome to Alive and Kicking. Thank you for joining us. Hi, Ash. Pleasure. Now, let, let's take you right back um, to the beginning because you've got a really interesting story, um, how you came to Manchester United because you, you were playing uh, sort of with Histon and you got a trial. Tell us the story of how you came about to get to Old Trafford. Well, I didn't start playing Saturday football until I was 17, 18. I was just playing Sunday football with my dad's, my dad's Sunday team and um, a five-a-side at Histon pre-season. We, we, we entered a team, a team in it and the, the manager of Histon, Alan Doyle at the time, Saw was playing and asked me and my brother to to go to pre-season with them, and went to pre-season. Had a season in the reserves, and then in eighty-eight, eighty-nine season, I um, played. I, I started the season with the first team. Played about I don't know. I, I thought it was thirty games for mm. the first team, but I've been told recently that it was only about sixteen, twenty games. Got um, after after. Um, a game midweek against Chatteris on a Wednesday Wednesday night. I got told Man United were watching me, which I thought was a joke. On the Saturday, I got told they wanted me to go on trial, and I was hoping that it was going to be in the next couple of months, two months, because even the thought of going to train at United was a bit daunting, obviously, because of Man United and being 19. I thought, no chance would they sign me. And on the Sunday, I got told that they wanted me to go on the Monday... So I left Monday morning with Alan Doyle about five o'clock, arrived late, and I was hoping that I'd miss training because we were late. And when we got there, they said, um, we, we haven't started training yet because we've been waiting for you. And that I couldn't believe in itself. And then on the Tuesday, I played in a testimonial game in Andy's side. They bought me off at halftime and offered me a four-year contract. So within six days of me... Hearing that United were after me or were interested in me going for a week's trial, I was only there two days, and, we and as I say, and that's when they signed me on the second day of my trial. It's an absolutely and it's something you wouldn't actually expect in this day and age, isn't it? But the, the, the thing is, it, then after that, it took me six weeks to get in the first team. And, and my, my, my scout who passed away a good few years ago, bless him, Ray Medwell, he just said to me, what you achieved in football, nobody would ever achieve what you did. So so rapid. And but bearing in mind, Histon were six leagues below the old fourth division. So the thing is, when I gave up football, I put it all at the back of my head. It's like um, ruining your knee at 21 and retiring at 24. It does, doesn't do your, your head any good. Mm. So and I pushed it all back into my mind for years and years and years and now when I do look back, look back, it is it is quite a rise in football to be fair. Mm. It is quite a rise. Something you wouldn't see now. I think I've, I've read a quote online from Alex Ferguson saying, saying it was one of the best trials that he'd ever seen from a footballer, and he immediately put you in the first team. What was it like to to play? I think you made your debut against Millwall, didn't you? What was it like to play for Man That's right. Yeah. No. It's... Oh, we, tra- we trained at Old Trafford before games, before the game, but like actually running on the pitch and I was used to playing, I was, six weeks before I was used to playing in front of about 50, 50 people and running onto the pitch and like I've always said this a few times that I remember doing a run, I don't know what I did with the ball, can't even remember, all I do remember because I was, 
I ran a fair a fair length. I I was breathing heavily and my ears were blocking and unblocking. And as 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 that happened, all I could hear was fading in 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 and out of my ears. Was a United United and like I just stopped and just done a 360 to to view. What I was used to looking, being on the outside, being a spectator and looking onto the pitch. Yeah. I wasn't used to being in the middle of a professional football, well, playing in a professional football game and being on the pitch looking at the spectators and it was ridiculous. You were, you were quite the, the skillful winger. That's what they were, would sort of compare you to the, the wingers we'd see, like Ryan Giggs and stuff. How would you sort of um, describe the way you played? I've sort of YouTube videos of you and stuff. Um, Ferguson wasn't always pleased with your, your, some of your skills, was he? He what, sorry? He, Ferguson always wasn't quite happy with some of the skills you were doing. The, the thing is, when I played football, I used to try and do different things. Yeah. I used to try to do different things to, to get the crowd... To please the crowd, and that's what—that's how I used to try. And, that's how I used to try and play football, and like I used to try and do the overhead kicks, back heels, and that—I've been doing them as a kid, mm. and I, I wasn't going to stop doing them. Mm. You, you played seven games in all for Manchester United. Um, after that kind of sort of thrust into the line, like what went wrong for you? Do you think, or what happened between you and the club and folks, and that, that you kind of did not make that next step? The thing is, it doesn't, that doesn't matter what you do in life, your face has got to fit. And if, yeah. you, if your face doesn't fit, you're not going to go places. And at the time, there, were, there, was a bosom, there wasn't a bosom ruling where you could leave the club and I just ended up rotting in the reserves. I, I was stuck in limbo and a year down the road, I ruined my knee and that was the end of me. Mm-hmm. Do you think because you didn't get that grounding uh, as a youngster that you, you weren't used to, to what to do next once you got to a professional football club, do you think you need that? going into to, to being a footballer? To be fair, I think, yeah, looking back now, obviously, if I'd have, I'd, I'd, I'd never been an apprentice. I'd just got thrown at the deep end with Man United. Maybe I should have gone to a lesser club and learnt my trade there. But the bottom line is, I, I was my own man. Mm. And um, I wasn't a robot, basically. And they try and mould you into something that maybe you don't want to be. Mm. Is that in particular? I mean, Alex Ferguson obviously had this reputation. I mean, how do you now see? How do you look back on him as a as a as a figure and as a manager in 2018? How do you remember him? As a manager, you can't take away what what he yeah. achieved, obviously. But as a man, I can. Mm. I I asked to leave. I asked to leave United on numerous occasions. He wouldn't let me leave, so I ended up rotting in the reserves and ruining my career. And I am where I am now. Mm. You had a. Uh, I've read online you had a small. In, in, in Finland, was it? Sweden. Sweden, sorry, yes. Yes, uh, what, was, what, what was, was like? there? David Wilson, another fellow, he, he was out there playing and he phoned me up and asked me to go over and I went over and it lasted about two, three months and I was just getting niggled. So. Mm. And I thought, right, it's time to retire, which was the biggest decision I had to make in my life mm. and the hardest. Yeah, but the injury you, you talked about it was the one in the reserve game against Aston Villa. I mean, is it one of those you kind of know when as soon as you go down that it's a serious one? And and obviously in this day and age it may be different where they've got the medical treatment has come on so much. But in the, in those days you kind of know. Did, did you know that at the time? No, I didn't. No, I've never had a serious injury before in my life. I didn't. I didn't know that much about ligaments, believe it or not. And when they told me I'd I'd have been better breaking my leg, I thought typical, and I, I was confident I'd get back. Mm. I was confident I was going to get back, but 
face didn't fit, I wasn't getting, getting the chances, and it, it was what it well, it is what it is. Mm. Uh, what, we're talking, uh, uh, you know, it's been a, it was a disappointing end to your career in IT, but on today's show, we did talk about a, a behind-the-scenes video that we, we found on YouTube that you're very much yeah. a part of. What do you remember from that? For us, it was such a bizarre bit of television. What do you remember from it? Because we see you in the club museum, I think it is. Um, how was it sold to you, and, and what do you remember of it? Oh, to be to be honest, I completely forgot about it until about three, four years ago. Um, Daniel Graham, who's an outfit for Fergie Fledge and one of yeah. the original ones, he told me about it, and he sent me a link over, and looking at it, it's very embarrassing. <laughs> but it was all, the thing is, at the time, it was all, it was, everything was strange to me, you know, mm. like I say, signing for United, playing for the first team, asking to do, to do videos like that, it was just all, all new to me, and all the other, most of the other lads, you've got to bear in mind, most of the other lads went to the School of Excellence when, when, when were at United as 13, 14 year old kids. So maybe they were much well. They were much more used to things than what I was. Mm. You said before we started talking that it's a video that seems not just back in the nineties because eighty nine ninety, but from the fifties yeah. and sixties. It's something quite unique even then. I mean, how, how comfortable are you in front of the camera and things like that? You say. It's new <laughs> well, uh, I think I think it proves um, what I was like, but by just watching it. Like my kids <laughs> when they first see me, they ripped me apart for about a week. <laughs> <laughs> my, my acting's ridiculously poor. And um, I look a bit embarrassed. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, you're not the only one. I think Alex Ferguson's acting and it's absolutely appalling as well. But, I mean, is it something that the club, you know, you just took on board that this is something to do or was it sold to you in a different kind of way? Like this is going to be something special or anything like that? I can't remember. Things, no, you should, all I do, all, what I do remember is just saying, right, we're doing this certain time and you just turned up and done them. Mm. Interesting, very interesting. What are your, I mean, let's, let's finish trying to find a highlight for you. I mean, what are your highlights from, from that time at Manchester United? What, what do you look fondly and, and playing for the club? Well, obviously, playing at Old Trafford, playing, playing for the first team, playing against Arsenal, which was live on TV. And looking back, like, um, my, I always say it, it's a bit of a cliche, this, but my, my football didn't work out, but I've got... My wife's from Salford. I've got two great kids and a, and a lovely family. So mm. you've got to get, get the positives out of the negatives. Mm. That's, that's the way forward, I think. Yeah, definitely. And you said you blocked it out for a long time. Do you feel more in, in 2018 that you're a more comfortable place to, to look upon it and, and the achievement that you had around that time? Yeah, definitely. Um, but the thing is, it, it took me over 20 years. Like, I didn't watch football for about seven or eight years. Then I had a, a son. He wanted to get. He started enjoying watching football. So I started watching football with him. And um, and 20 years passed. I swept under the table for for that long. And then Wayne Barton wrote um, wrote a book called Fergie Fledglings about mm -hmm. four years ago. I think it was. Yeah. Four or five years ago, and that got the the ball rolling. I weren't on social media. They said you should get on Twitter. I said I don't. I don't even do Facebook, to be honest. But, and then I got on Twitter and I started. I started talking to um, a lot of United fans, and I get a lot of pleasure out of talking talking to football fans. To be fair, brilliant. Well, it's been a pleasure talking to you, Joel, and your memories of the time. Um, what are you up to these days? Because you own your own upholstery business, don't you? Yeah, me and my brother do. Me and my brother's taken over the upholstery business. My dad started in 1976. He passed away, bless him, actually 14 years ago last week. And me and my brother have taken over it and just um, plugging away, trying to earn a living like right. most people. Yeah. Well, good luck to you for that and, and great to speak to you. Good to speak to you too, Ash. Thank you Thanks much. a lot. Cheers. Thank you.
Hi, this is Elton Wellsby, and you're listening to Alive and Kicking, the outstanding 90s football podcast. Thank you very much to Giuliano there. That was really kind of him to take time out of his schedule to speak to us. And it's kind of nice that he's come full circle and in his views on football and his love for football, despite what happened at Manchester United. And good to get a little bit more info on that documentary. Hope you've enjoyed today's show. As I said, very different, but very enjoyable. Go and watch the documentary. I'll stick the YouTube links up on the Twitter feed at AK90s for you to watch it. It's so worth watching. Hopefully we'll do some more watch alongs in the future. But until then, I've been Ash Rose. This has been Alive and Kicking. For the final time this episode, keep it 90s.